Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. We're back, and we have some new stuff to share. Guess how many plays we now have. Is it? Did it break a thousand? It is one thousand. Woo! I'm so happy. Me too. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to our episodes. It's very exciting news, and I'm very happy, and I'm very grateful. Me too. So, I'm doing one of my favorite things ever. What is it? Because of, uh, it was because of um, Scariest Places on Earth. Ooh. I wanted to do, I wanted to introduce this um, case in the same voice as that, um, She's not the oh, host, but she'll narrate. She she... I would have put <laughs> my shit. <clears throat> Here it goes. Ready? Oh, no. Velisca, Iowa. No, I don't know. <laughs> my my throat isn't <laughs> my throat isn't ready for uh, imitations right now. <clears throat> that was pretty okay. good though. Thank you. Um, I don't know her name. I should I should have looked up her name. She's from um, Poltergeist. Yes, the little but, lady. Um, She's in Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink? 16 Candles. 16 Candles, I think. Yeah, she's in the church. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. I think. Maybe. Poltergeist for sure. But if you say she's in yeah, that movie, too, I, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe you. And um, Linda Blair from mm-hmm. Exorcist. Yeah, she hosted that show. That's a good-ass show, man. I, I was in third grade when I heard about this case, and you're going to see how brutal this case is and so here we go that long so as part of my favorite well okay because i want to say that this is like my favorite case i've ever seen on scariest places on earth because it's just such a haunting case but at the same time i don't want to be disrespectful so the Velisca axe murders are super old. I was, I almost was like, oh, I'm doing this on the 100th anniversary, but it turns out it's been 108 years and it's still unsolved. So over a hundred years old for this one. So I'm going to just jump right into it. Josiah B. Moore was a prominent businessman and married to Sarah Montgomery on December 6th, 1899 at the home of her parents. The family was well-liked in the community, and Sarah was an active member of the Presbyterian Church. They resided in a southwestern town known as Villisca, Iowa. Described as a quiet and safe town, it soon come to be remembered for this shocking and horrific crime. The Moore family were attending a church service on the evening of June 9, 1912. Josiah, also known as Joe, and Sarah took their four children, Herman, who was 11, Catherine, 10, Boyd, seven, and Paul, age five, to a children's day event at the Presbyterian Church, and they had brought along two neighbor girls, Lena, who was 12, and Ina, eight. Um, Lena and Ina Stillinger were neighborhood girls, and they were invited to stay the night with the Moore family. The event was an end-of-the-year Sunday school program where the children performed and recited speeches, and Sarah was the co-director of the event. Mm-hmm. Um, the event wrapped up around 9.30 p.m. and the family were having the sisters stay the night anyway so as not to walk home alone at night. 
The children had milk and cookies and went to their designated rooms. Unbeknownst to them, there may have been someone already in the house waiting for them to fall asleep. We. Oui. The next morning, around 7 a.m., the neighbor, Mary Peckham, found it odd that she hadn't seen the family come out to do the morning chores. At first, I rolled my eyes like, mind your business, they don't deserve to sleep in every now and then, or what? Mm-hmm. Um, but if something seems unusual, it's important to listen to your gut and not just ignore it. In this case, sadly, she was right to say something. So by 7.30 a.m., when the house seemed to be sitting too still, the elderly Mary Peckham became concerned and headed to check on them. When she knocked and nobody answered, she tried the door, finding it locked, so Miss Peckham let the chickens out for her neighbors and telephoned Joe's brother, Ross Moore. Ross arrived shortly and also tried knocking on the door, then shouted for the Moors. Using his key, he entered the home and Miss Peckham waited on the porch. He headed to the parlor and opened the guest room door. Moore caught a glimpse of what was inside and quickly stepped out of what was now a crime scene and called the hardware store, telling Ed Shelley to get the marshal over there right away, saying something terrible had happened. He had seen Ina and Lena Stillinger lying in bloody sheets across their bed. The peace officer, Velisca, was Hank Horton, and he arrived quickly on the scene. Horton searched the home and gathered from the scene that each family member had been bludgeoned to death in their sleep with an axe that belonged to Joe. The axe was found in the Stillinger sisters' room. Strange details were, first, that the killer had left a slab of bacon leaning against the wall next to the axe, and second, he had scoured dresser drawers for clothing articles to cover the mirrors and the house in the house and the glass in the entry doors. In addition, there were there was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water on the table. Upon examining the bodies, doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes were found in the attic, indicating the killer or killers had waited for the family to fall asleep. Mm. Tracing the activity from the attic, it appeared that the killings began upstairs after the intruders left the attic, beginning in the bedroom of Sarah and Joe. Joe received the most brutal of the slayings. His face took the blows of the actual blade rather than the back end of the axe. Or should I say the back of the axe blade? His face was cut so badly with each blow that his eyes were missing from his head. No. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if it was intended for him to get the worst of it or if they couldn't even stomach how badly much damage the blade was doing so they just ended up bludgeoning the rest of them but oh shoot hello (laughs) one moment hunterine is here i'm back again hello i didn't even ask you had you heard of the velisca axe murders oh yeah and that's why um my reactions aren't as uh, like crazy because as curious yeah because some of the things I hadn't heard like his eyeballs I did not know that right oh yeah let me go ahead and mention my sources real quick um and then I'll mention what I've read that is different on other things and all that but mm-hmm. I used velisciowa.com www.velisciowa.com ir.uiowa.edu and iowacoldcases.org and of course wikipedia of course the wiki okay 
So I don't know if the killer was intending on using the uh, blade of the axe on everyone and then was like, this is way too much. Or if they were just, they had such disdain for Joe Moore that they just decided he was going to be the target of the worst of the killing. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, um, his eyes were missing from his head. And the blade of the axe was not used on any other victim. Each victim was covered by the bed sheet and, oh, and it was, they were covered by their bed sheet after they were killed. So he didn't cover, because some killers can't look in the faces of who they're killing, but it was after that he would throw the bed sheet over their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the ceiling of all the upstairs rooms were gouge marks from the violent upswing of the axe. Oh, and each victim was hit between 20 and 30 times. Jeez. I'm a light sleeper. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know how they didn't hear that. Or, like, him hitting, especially if he's hitting, hitting the top. The, yeah, the ceiling. Like, how the fuck? They were so tired. Or, well, I, I don't know. The ceiling. Yeah, well, I mean, they he did. He hit the he would hit the ceiling. Maybe not every single upswing, but there were gouge multiple gouge marks on the ceiling of um low ass ceiling. All the upstairs, I know, and I guess not the the downstairs guest room. The ceiling wasn't as low down there, so. Mm-hmm. Um. Wow. So the children's rooms followed. Uh, that of their parents, with the guest room downstairs being the final murders to take place. However, the scene also indicated that before coming downstairs, the killer returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows to Josiah and Sarah. The clue that suggested this was a shoe filled with blood. It appeared as though one of Sarah's shoes was under the bed where blood was dripping down and filled with blood. When the killer returned, they knocked the shoe over, spilling the blood onto the floor. Ew. Weird, right? Mm-hmm. That's like a detail that you'd have to really be looking for to like time everything out um so after the second visit to the master bedroom the killer headed downstairs and um killed lena and ina another eerie event that i read was the idea that someone saw joe put the axe between the wood pieces he was working on and brought it inside with them when they entered the home Mm, so they had they had definitely premeditated from earlier that day because from what I read, how I put it together was Joe had cut wood earlier that morning. And um, the only time they left the home was when they went to the church event in the evening time. So that's when people believe the intruder uh, took the axe inside with them and then hid in the attic. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like 1912 or else this might have been a more accurate there might have been a more accurate timeline of how everything happened with like um, DNA and all that. But because it was so long ago, they couldn't do all that. Mm-hmm. Um, investigators believed that only Lena Stillinger was awake when she was slain. She was found lying across her bed, nightgown pushed up to her waist and no undergarments with a defense wound on her arm. It appeared that she had been fighting back as the attacker attempted to molest her in some way. However, it was concluded that she had not been sexually abused. Wow. Um, thousands attended the Moore Stillinger funeral services, which were held in Villisca's town square on June 12, 1912. National Guardsmen blocked off the street and a hearse 
moved toward the firehouse where the victims lay, and later the caskets were carried on several wagons to the Velisca Cemetery for burial. The funeral cortege, cortege was 50 carriages long. 50. Jeez. Um, there are only photos... Uh, I guess because photography was really expensive a long time ago. That's my complete and total just guess. Mm-hmm. But um, you, they couldn't, you couldn't find like um, time accurate photos of the family. So the pictures that are online and stuff, the kids are all much smaller than when they passed or when they were murdered. Oh, yeah. Um, but it still breaks everybody's heart that they were all kids and they were killed so brutally. Mm-hmm. So um, it brought the community together in a lot of ways to mourn the family that had been friendly and well-liked and stuff. But also it split the town apart because everyone, you know, they were so confused and shocked by what happened. They were starting to suspect each other or, you know, suspect people and bully them out of the town. Um With the town seeming so cozy and safe, the first suspects were mostly all transient and strangers to the town. Mm -hmm. A commonly mentioned suspect in the grand jury testimonies was a man named Andrew Sawyer. An important detail was the fact that Sawyer approached the crew of Thomas Dyer in Creston at 6 a.m. on the morning of the murders. Thomas Dyer ran the crew of Burlington, Iowa, as a bridge foreman and a pile driver for the Burlington Railroad. His appearance seemed strange. He was wearing a brown suit, was clean-shaven. However, his pants were wet up to his knees and his shoes were covered in mud. He asked if he could work for the crew and was given a job on the spot. Dyer mentioned another important detail in testimonies, that Sawyer had been very interested in the news of the Velisca murders. When the crew reached Fontenelle, Iowa, Sawyer bought a newspaper and sat alone to read it. The front page was the news of the murders. He spoke of the murders and asked if the killer had been apprehended. Crew members mentioned that Sawyer slept with his clothes on, was paranoia-stricken, and did not like being alone, so much that he slept with his axe next to him. Sawyer confessed to Dyer that he had been in Villisca on Sunday night, and when he heard of the murders, he fled town in fear of being a suspect. Dyer turned him in to the police on June 18, 1912. Dyer stated that prior to the sheriff's arrival, he walked up to Sawyer and Sawyer was rubbing his head with both hands and suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will cut your goddamn heads off. At the same time, making striking motions in front of him with an axe hitting piles in front of him. Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, that's a little bit scary. Uh, But a lot of these suspects you'll see are super like on the nose with some of these things that they do or say. Um, Okay, so Dyer's son also testified, stating Sawyer told him he would show him where the man who killed the family got out of town. Sawyer claimed that the man jumped over a manure box one and a half blocks away and crossed a railroad track where there were footprints. And when Dyer's son saw the place, um, he found soggy footprints in the ground and Sawyer told the son of an old tree where the murderer stepped into the creek. And sure enough, he saw a tree South of the track about four, four blocks away. Mm -hmm. Um, Sawyer was dismissed as a suspect when officials discovered that he was arrested for vagrancy in Osceola, Iowa on the night of the murders. The sheriff recalled, 
putting him on a train around 11 p.m. that night. Another major suspect was Reverend George Kelly, a traveling minister in town on that night. Kelly was described as being peculiar, having suffered from a mental breakdown as an adolescent and being known as a peeping Tom as an adult. His disturbing um, behavior, such as asking young women to pose nude for him, uh, was taken into consideration. Yeah, he would just ask them straight up, like, can you take your clothes off for me? And uh, yeah, I'd be like, do you know how long it took me to put these bitches on? And back then, didn't they have to wear like stockings and clothes? Yes. Like, fuck How annoying. I didn't want to take this shit off. God damn. Took me three days. I'm just be like, if you're just going to be a peeping Tom anyway, just fucking wait till the end of the day and catch a glimpse of whatever. All the straps coming off. Yeah. All the laces untying. My fucking fat coming out of my corset. Have fun with that one. (laughs) Get out of here. But imagine with all the clothing that they had to wear, how long he had to stand there to get to the good parts. Yeah. Fucking falls asleep and shit. Forgets. (laughs) (laughs) Unless back then that was part of the the thrill of being a peeping Tom is the anticipation of how fucking long corsets here, straps and laces there, buttons here and there. Yeah. That is, it just grosses me out thinking about it. Like they're just sitting there like hungry little wolves just waiting. (laughs) I bet their um, ejaculation time was stronger back then. Now, I mean, if you think about it nowadays, cam girls can just show up on the screen nude already. No yeah. wonder guys fucking say the shit right that they say. The yeah. top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, like, they're just ready to freaking burst already. At the, like, okay, shit, t- wait a little bit. Okay, that's over. <laughs> Thank you. $25, please. <laughs> right? Put that shit right uh, in my account. <laughs> right. You're right. You would think that they'd make the lo- like the longer it would be worth more money. Anyways, it's whatever. It's easy money. Easy money it would now. Be worth more money, but shit. Some guys are fucking crazy enough yeah, right. to just give we all of their have to paycheck. Freaking... You're right. They and that's the sad part is that they want to blame the people providing these services, but it's like they're the ones throwing their money yeah. away. It's not our fault they're You're in debt. The I like how I, I included myself in that, like a dumbass. <laughs> I know I do not do that for money. I don't I don't know why I said that. I just meant women. But anybody yes. could could provide those services. So that's why I threw myself in there, I guess. Um uh, so I now I'm wondering if there's a category for this that's like vintage old timey Ooh, that would be a that's a new venture there that would be really cool that would be really cool you could have like a whole theme themed uh room and feathers and like yeah. different eras and stuff that would be, be cool there might be one. if there's fe- if there's fetishes for different kinds of outfits i would i would assume that there are yeah for that I mean, dudes will pay like Cute. 50 bucks to watch a girl eat so i guess right or like clean their house oh yeah Literally anything. I forgot what it was. I don't know, but I saw this one bitch, and I say bitch loosely because you know when people are friends, they refer to each other. I saw this one woman. When I, it's a it's a term of of love and endearment from me. But she sold used Q tips, and someone gladly paid for them. Oh, the germs! So, <laughs> so 
Those are Francis's favorite snack when he finds them in the trash can. <laughs> so uh, we always have to get perverted and gross with these damn. But that's what happens. It is. You're right. <clears throat> We're just normal people. But anyways. Back so, to Tom or whatever. His yeah, name. he was. He was a peeping Tom. Um, what was his name again? You would ask um he was a reverend, Reverend George Kelly. Oh, God damn it. That's even worse. God and that's even it. worse. I was reading some stuff on him. There's a lot of, of information on, and there are even more suspects than what I mentioned, but I'm mentioning the main, main suspects mm-hmm. um, that had really detailed things about them that would really put them in the time and place. But um, so he would ask women to pose nude for him. And he was... Um, Actually, teaching at the children's event is what I read on Wikipedia, but on another website I read that he was there just to watch Lena and Ina Stillinger, yeah. which is strange that it specified only those two. And he came from wherever just to watch them. So I don't know if that makes any more sense than him just being there to be part of the event. Um, I have a theory now. I'll tell you whenever you're done, though. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of seeing when I saw that it was for them, then I put it together a little bit too, but we'll discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was actually teaching at the children's event, um, according to Wikipedia and um, some other places. And um, on June 9th, 1912, which is the evening that it took place and came to town specifically for that event. And it's reported that he left town between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. on June 10th. He even confessed in court to committing the the murders. However, the jury did not believe his confession. His mental illness caused issues with information and he kept, um, and he kept, came forward with such details of what happened that night. Had he been at the scene of the crime, uh, been the murderer, or had he just imagined how it all occurred? He was fascinated by the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators and family of the deceased as well. Um, two years of the, uh, Two years after the murders, he was arrested for sexually harassing a woman who was applying to be his secretary. Oh. Uh, I think he was sending her inappropriate letters and um, photographs and stuff. He was sent to St. <laughs> he was a thirsty creep. Gross. I just can't imagine I like, feel bad the letters or even the fucking photos. I know because if you imagine how creepy men are now, imagine like then. I, I just <laughs> what would be inappropriate photos of him to send to her? Like, first of all, photography was way different. You had to stand still yeah. for a long ass time, mm-hmm. and I feel like there was no trimming of the downstairs. So you know, it's she. He just took a picture <laughs> of a bush with a fucking mushroom inside. Like that was one. Well, <laughs> She's like, huh, what is this? She like couldn't even tell. She couldn't tell what it was. And who, I feel like maybe the photograph part was wrong, but for sure he was sending her nasty letters because I think you had to have someone else take the photo. You couldn't just like click it and then run, run really quickly in front of it. It was like a whole fucking thing. Yeah. You had to like fucking pull the the fucking thing and it fucking exploded and then you fucking. (laughs) You broke it and it was expensive and you're like, oh shit. Great. You knock it over with your erect penis and then you're like, damn it. I just feel like, yeah, (laughs) that's fucking terrible. 
those letters though. I want to. I just want to see an example. Of I want to know. Not, Me too. I bet we could find. I bet we could find. Um, I saw recently on a TikTok someone was looking through vintage yearbooks, and you know how they used to be able to put quotes next to their pictures. There were some little edgy teenagers back in like the nineteen fifties, nineteen forties. Sounds about right. So, and the way that they spoke was like witty and like edgy. So I'm wondering how these letters went even from before that time. I'm sure they were like, I want to, I want to see a really disgusting one just to see what their version of really disgusting is, but I don't want it to be like a fucking creepy one, you know, I don't want that. Yeah, something like too disturbing. Yeah. I just kind of want to know because what what's like not socially acceptable now? How far has it come from then? Yes, it's all the same. Also, kind of shit. yeah, for that time period. Anyways, once again, <clears throat> so he was sent to Saint Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington D.C. and again he was suspected of the murders. In 1917, he was arrested for the murders and was obtained and obtained a confession once again. Um, they obtained a confession once again, claiming that God had whispered to him, suffer the children to come unto me. What? Yeah. He was, he was told by God to kill the kids. Um, why? To send them to, to heaven with God. I don't know. (sighs) Messed up. That's creepy as hell to imagine. According to christians oh like weren't they already there why the fuck would he send them down and then want them to go back yeah, up like it beats me exactly um and it might really just be that he's just mentally disturbed I mean, but yeah that's exactly um, what that is but <laughs> what the fuck for it for it to be like that's how they justified it i don't know or you know he justified it but after hours of interrogation, he recanted his confession. After two separate trials, the one in September on the 26th and one in November, he was acquitted of the crime. The sketchiest thing I read about the Reverend was when he left town at approximately 5.19 a.m. the morning of the murders, he told others on the train that there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept. But he said this before the family had been discovered. Okay, so he did it. Right? Why is so what the hell? Even, why is there even a question of anyone else? Like, what? I don't know. But the thing is, is like, how many people heard him say this? Or is this just him saying that he said that? Because he could just build this whole thing. Yeah. Because, wait, there's more suspects. So, wait, hold on. Um, because, yeah, that, I would say, put him in prison because... Ew. Mm-hmm. Frank F. Jones was a Villisca resident and an Iowa state senator. Josiah Moore had worked for Jones for years at his implement store. Moore reportedly took business away from Jones when he left to open his own store, a John Deere dealer- dealership. There was also a rumor of Moore sleeping with the daughter-in-law of Jones, but this affair was never confirmed. Mm-hmm. Now that's a scandal. Mm-hmm. So, a theory to connect Jones is that he had hired a man named William Mansfield to murder the family. Two years later, or two years after the Moore killings, Mansfield had murdered his wife, infant child, and parents-in-law with an axe. The manner in which he, yeah, he, ugh, that's horrible. Um, So, in other words, Frank Moore had, the, the reason Frank Moore became a suspect was the motive behind 
why the the Moors were killed. But I mean, to kill the whole family like that, like that's just savage. Yeah. Over some business stuff, but um, Josiah Moore was a, very, a pretty successful. I think the most, if not one of the most successful businessmen of the town at that time. So he was really salty about that, and so that's why they connected Frank Jones to this um, crime. And because he was a senator, he just hired someone else to do his dirty work for him. So um, William Mansfield was uh, said to have been hired, and whenever he killed his family two years after that murder, the manner in which he carried out the murders were so similar to those of the Moore family members that he was a suspect of those as well. All were hacked with an axe and all mirrors were covered. A basin of water was left in the kitchen and the murderer had left no fingerprints indicating he wore um, gloves. Mm. And Mansfield knew his fingerprints were on file at the federal military prison in Leavenworth, Leavenworth, giving him a reason to prevent leaving any fingerprints. Wow. Okay. So... Um, so they believe that before he killed his family, he killed the Moore family um, for Frank Jones. And he is believed to also have killed in Kansas four days prior to the Villisca murders. He is also suspected of killing Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Illinois. Um, these crimes have two things in common, committed with an axe and all are locations accessible by train. There were multiple axe killings around this time in Colorado Springs um, Kansas and Paola, Kansas, Ellsworth, Kansas and Paola, Kansas. So apparently the years 1911 and 1912 had two dozen eerily similar axe murders take place across the Midwest. So this very well may have been one of America's first serial killers as early as then. And it's reported that there were unique crime scene details at each murder scene as well. This is generically called the work of the Axeman, not to be confused by the Axeman of New Orleans, unless they are the same person. Those murders took place, I believe, uh, 1918, 1919. So not too long after these murders. But that's a long theory to get into right now. Um, The thing was, is that I believe all the axes that they used, or, you know, it was never the killer's own weapon. It was always an axe that they took just from the yard, came inside, killed everybody, and then jumped on a train and was never seen or heard from again. Mm -hmm. Um, The man on the train or the man of the train is like a, I think it's a fictional novel based on these, all these murders that kind of ties all the murders together. So that's why it's really... The, the person that killed all these people is said to have just done that was just killed random people that lived near the railroads and then left. Um, spooky. It's very spooky because they have no motive. Like you're just living your life and then someone just breaks in your house while you're asleep and then just kills everybody and is out of there. Like no way to prevent that from happening. Really? Um. Nobody was ever charged for the crime, and even 108 years later, the Velisca Axe murders remain a mystery. In 1994, Darwin and Martha Lynn of Corning, Iowa, bought the home and restored it to its original condition. The house was listed on the National Register, Registrar or Register, some one of those, of historic places and opened for tours. Multiple paranormal investigations have been held on the premises, and many have left with experiences from the home. 
Those who enter claim that they can tell the differences in energies in the home. The energy of the children is apparently carrying an innocent and curious feeling, sometimes fear or sadness, and other forms of energy carry an evil or darkness, causing some to believe that the spirit of the killer or killers has come back to the home. Mm. And it had me thinking, like, if they returned, it's either because they loved they loved what they did there and they just want to keep torturing the souls that are still stuck there or it's a form of like punishment purgatory type thing. Those are my theories. Hmm. If the killer returned. Interesting. I have another theory. Go tell me. Well, it's based on what my grandma had said about leaving like energy behind. Oh yes. So I'm wondering if that's it. Like, it was that just would be so, so sad that they left like signatures, you know, like they left their mm-hmm. signature mm-hmm. during what they were doing. You know what I mean? Yes, that does make sense. It's it's so interesting to see different um, investigations take place there because that's what they say. Like they can feel the difference right away in the attic. They feel the the darkness that tell that tells them like get out or you know that they shouldn't be up there mm-hmm. because he up there and it if you said you know that's how it, it was at the time mm-hmm. like I'm hiding up here don't tell the family I'm here yeah. kind of mm-hmm. and then also in the pantry there's like a pantry that they believe he also hid I don't know it's Ooh. weird and I want to go I want to go just because it's such an iconic like I wouldn't say murder but like it's a part of history that's so brutal it like shaped the whole person, like personally, like my whole thing around murder and paranormal and how things like that can leave a mark um, in a space like that. And so people see a lot of orbs and they're either really playful and colorful or they're really like foreboding energies. And I like listening to like the voice recording. Mm-mm. Like I just watched one on YouTube right before we started recording and it was, I think, Kindred Spirits, a show with like a woman and a man investigator team. Mm-hmm. And she she was like, you can't be here or something. And the voice was straight up like, fuck you. Oh my God. Yeah. He was like, oh, that's scary as heck. And if it is on a loop, like repeating, because like that moment in time was so horrible, mm-hmm. that would just be so devastating just to be stuck there and have that night happen over and over and over again Mm -hmm. it just makes me really wonder you said you had a theory about the reverend yes I based on like what happened to those two little girls and one of them having her dress pulled up to her waist um Mm -hmm. and then you told me that the reverend was like wanting to see those girls specifically He Mm -hmm. might have gone in. He snuck into the house. Um, People think that they were already there, but may or that that person was already there. But maybe he snuck into the house after they got back. Or did anybody see him leaving the church thing? Or was he even there? He was there, but I don't know if anyone saw him leave or where he went. Okay. Because because you're right. Because if it was him, how did he get in the house? He would have had to wait till they fell asleep to get even in the house. Yeah, and he could have. But done then that. there's those cigarettes up there. 
maybe those cigarettes don't even have to do with anything. Maybe the dad was like sneaking up there to smoke. Oh, or the mom see? was up there to smoke, or one of the kids right. stole cigarettes from someone and hid them up there because nobody would see them. You're onto something there. So, there are so many elements that nowadays DNA could just go ahead and take DNA off the cigarettes, and that would just be out. You know, like they could immediately decide what happened with those. But yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing about. Maybe the reverend did do the murder and that Sawyer guy did witness it. And that's why he was scared because he's like, oh, shit, that he's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. But the windows were covered, remember? Like the- they covered the windows with um, clothing and sheets. Whoever murdered the family. He had to have done that after. You think? Yeah. Or that Sawyer In guy. Order- yeah went in there maybe he was an accomplice that's what i'm saying it might have been more than one person but the like one person did everything else and one person did all the killing maybe he saw the he saw the reverend sneaking in there and he was like you've already seen me you're gonna have to come with me now you're gonna help me and if you say anything i'll Ooh. kill you so he made right. go put the clothes up on the windows and he makes him go um, make sure that nobody wakes up or some shit. And um, mm-hmm. so he, he goes yeah. in. His original plan was to not kill everybody, but he goes in and he wants to see those little girls and the little girl, something happens in there and he doesn't molest her, but he kills her. Like she probably says some fucked up shit to him or something. And, yeah. or he thinks he's he guilty or something. Huh? Yeah. He may, um, maybe she just made him feel bad, yes. and so he just killed them. Yes, so he killed them instead, and then, or he was about mm-hmm. to molest her, and somebody walked in, and maybe he doesn't kill them, and then he goes yeah. chases after them, and maybe it's another kid, and they go run into their bed, and they cover themselves, and he kills them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm fine. It could be a lot of, yeah, this case is very, there's a lot of ways that this could have all happened. And I read that, um, which I didn't mention yet, but I read that the the sheriff and the marshal, they lost control of, of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And people started gathering around the home and walking through oh, the home. Yes, they ruined it. Touching mm-hmm. the axe. They touched the axe. The axe had been, um, it looked like the killer had attempted to wipe blood off of the axe and then leaned it against the wall. And also, I forgot to mention that there were, or maybe I did mention it, there was a slab of bacon on the floor next to the axe. Oh, yeah. The, um, maybe that was already there, though. It might have been. I don't know if he was going to take it with him or what and then left it um, or if that was at the family's house already. Mm-hmm. But um, that was another interesting thing. But, yeah, the coroner didn't initially even, like, detail how the bodies were found until later, mm-hmm. like, out of, I guess, from memory of how they saw. Mm-hmm. And um, a local druggist, which I guess is a pharmacist, had attempted to go in with a camera, but they shooed him out. Like they were like, get and out of here. They covered but it that up. would have helped a lot. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, what if it was like a conspiracy against the lead businessman of, oh, you know, and then out of mercy, because the rest of the family would have been poor. Yeah. They just killed everybody. 
But the way it was just so brutal, it doesn't make any sense. Or they could have, they it could have been like three of them. And the reverend sees them and he's like, I'm going to go molest those other little girls while they're there. While they're. <gasps> so he goes in with them and he goes to the little girls. And mm-hmm. the whole original plan was instead of just killing, what was the dad's name? Josiah. Okay, instead of just killing Josiah, we're going to kill his family first mm-hmm. and then we're gonna mm-hmm. I, maybe they weren't even gonna kill him but he i don't know it went wrong and they do kill him anyways right but oh my god and then the guilt of those two girls because i mean if they were just mainly targeting yeah and the they, main they family there. the girls were just there by chance was it already planned and one woke up one woke up that the only one that said that it was said that she was awake when she was struck was Lena and she had a blood stain on her knee and an alleged defense wound on her arm Someone with the dress so up. yeah and that's the one that had the the oh, nightgown yeah. pulled up yeah oh my mm-hmm. I don't know <sighs> I don't know how did they um, know she was awake oh because she had the defensive wound sorry and I wish I would have – there's a bunch of documentaries that have come out since then in 2004 and, like, 2012 and stuff. Um, I could have watched some of those as well, but I'm sure more stuff has come out. I just wish that they would have saved anything from the crime scene because now they may even be able to trace it back. Right. Um, even though it was so long ago, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Mm. And imagine being the parents. Like, they let their little girls just go stay over there. Like, oh, it should be fine. Yeah. It's safer than them walking home at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. However many blocks. That is also mm-hmm. the thing. That wasn't planned, though, right? Like, they're spending the night. I think some places say... They invited them that night and then called that night, like, oh, they're just going to stay here. And, and other places say it was determined before the children's event even occurred. Mm-hmm. Like, they were already going to come over, go to the event together, and then come and stay at the Moore's house. So it's like, oh, crap. Like, we were only supposed to kill that family, but we have to kill everybody or else it doesn't make any yeah. Well, there's witnesses, I'm sure. Yeah. And then... um I don't know because even the Williamson guy, they think that he's a suspect for multiple murders just by how things were done. But I mean, but who's to know he, he took advice from that murder and then used those methods in other places? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Mm. Oh, I did want to read. Because it was just so beautifully done. Somebody actually put together this website just on their own because they wanted to. Mm-hmm. This ValiscaIowa.com. I thought it was beautiful, so I just wanted to read it. It says, um, in all honesty, though, we will never really know what happened on that dark night inside the home of JB and Sarah Moore. The murder or murderers were never caught and given the many years that have passed their dark secret was obviously carried with them to their own graves for some the speculation was almost too much to bear and in 1912 townspeople began to distinguish and identify themselves by who they believed committed the crime friendships became strained and in many cases irretrievably broken the town stood then and in many cases still stands divided 
I have visited the home, read the newspaper articles of 1912, and pored over the grand jury testimonies and the coroner's inquest. I have spent hours looking into the eyes of the victims in the few tattered photographs that remain. I have come, in a sense, to know the townspeople of Villisca in 1912. I share their frustration, their anger, their suspicions, and their fear. But most of all, I share their pain. The pain of the unknown, the pain of terrible tragedy that forced neighbors to look with suspicion upon neighbors, the pain of the 20th century. Originally, the construction of this website was simply a favor to a friend. Over the past several years, however, it has become a way of life. The Moors have become family. Once you've entered this site and been drawn into this story, I can guarantee that it will become a part of your life. At first, you'll feel an insatiable need for information. Until this site went live, that was difficult, if not impossible, to find. Secondly, you'll find within yourself a desire to know the truth, to unmask and identify the murderer or murderers and see justice done. Finally, you'll feel the pull to the house. You won't be satisfied with anyone else's experiences there, and you'll need to have your own. I know. I've been in your shoes. I can only hope that, as you sift through the information I have compiled, that you will find the peace that ultimately comes with this story. According to Sarah Moore, we can heal and we can overcome. Even a tragedy as gruesome as this, read the, the documents, know the people, and if you must, play detective. But know that each lesson learned in Velisca is personal. Each person that visits this site or this home will come away with something that will change their lives. The murders may never be solved. The tragedies we'll face in our lives, however, can be. The work on this site is dedicated to the victims of the Velisca Axe murders. Wow. <sighs> I thought that was sweet. Um, oh, I did forget to mention, though, too, that they said the Reverend Reverend Kelly actually disguised himself or pretended to be a detective and came in with a group of investigators just to look through the house. Um, what? Weird. Super weird. That is weird. Maybe he dropped something when he was there killing everybody and he went back right? in there and grabbed it before anyone saw. But with all the confessions, you would think he would be like, okay, well, they got me and not he's like, go be worried about it. Mm -mm. Apparently not. I don't know. People think that the Reverend was really the one. Mm-hmm. Because he seemed the most mentally unstable. I think it was him too. Or like you said, it was multiple people. We'll never know. But I do want to visit and pay my respects. Ooh, this is weird. Mm -hmm. My little twisty thing for my blinds is moving left and right. Oh, good. The fucking ghost in your house is like, we're talking about ghosts today. This is a good one. Or no, we're not. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah, because they stayed. <clears throat> I just can't believe they were all asleep for that long. That yeah, I just don't get it. Weird. Like, it scares me. Like, um, I don't know, unless he drugged them. They had milk and cookies and then went to bed. I don't see where. And if it happened after midnight and they got home at 10 ate milk and cookies and then went to bed. It just, it always drives me nuts trying to figure out what the hell happened with these kinds of unsolved mm -hmm. mystery situations. Um, I don't know. It just bothers me, but there are other suspects. Like I mentioned, they're just not as um, believable, but one of them was a railroad person that would just jump from train to train. Oh yeah. So they, they figured that, 
he might be the one to do it. And that Sawyer guy, I don't know. It'll just, everybody should go watch the segment of Scariest Places on Earth. Um, it's on YouTube so that you could just get a feel for how haunted the town felt after this event happened. Um, but yeah, that was my, that was my story. The Velisca Axe murders that, still unsolved after 108 years. That was great. Thank you. Creepy, creepy. You should go with me. We should go. Abby. Oh my Ghost God. Adventures went, um, Most Haunted Places in America, they they were covered on there. Oh, a few podcasts have covered this story too, which yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah, I've I thought this wasn't very well known. Yeah, it's hello, it was on TV. If yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I've heard um, several different or versions. Yeah, there's a lot, but how I just don't get how they didn't why give up on a case like this? This is like a huge case. Well, they didn't have anything. They didn't have, or well, they did. They just couldn't do anything with it. You're right. You're right. And because they lost control of the crime scene, Mm -hmm. it got pretty botched. Yeah. Which is so sad. Um, I'm going to have to go find any and all investigations of the place because it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. They really do feel like the guy was, or the person was waiting in that home got in while they were out and then just waited for them to fall asleep and then came starting from upstairs and then worked their way downstairs and just killed everybody. I mean, If it is the X-Men of New Orleans, that would be so wild. That would be really fucking crazy. But that just theory that you said is probably exactly what happened. Ooh, I'll go over these because some of these I didn't mention. The crime scene. Once the murders were discovered, the news traveled quickly in the small town as neighbors and curious onlookers converged on the house. Law enforcement quickly lost control of the crime scene. It is said that up to 100 people um, walked through the house gawking at the bodies before the Villisca National Guard finally arrived around noon to um, section off the area and secure the home. The only known facts regarding the scene of the crime were... Eight people had been bludgeoned to death, presumably with an axe left in the crime scene. It appeared all had been asleep at the time of murders. Doctors estimated the time of death as somewhere shortly after midnight. Curtains were drawn on all of the windows in the house except two, which did not have curtains, and those windows were covered with clothing belonging to them. All the victims' faces were covered with the bedcloths after they were killed. A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah, and the chimney was off and the wick had been turned back. The chimney was found under the dresser. A similar lamp was found at the foot of the bed of the Stillinger girls. The chimney was also off. The axe was found in the room occupied by the, by the Stillinger girls, and it was bloody, but it was it had been attempted to be wiped clean. Um, the axe belonged to Josiah Moore. The ceilings in the parents' bedroom and the children's room showed gouge marks apparently made by the upswing of the axe. A piece of a keychain was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table as well as a plate of uneaten food. The doors were all locked. That's the creepiest part. Oh. So how did he get out? Wait a minute. Ew. Hold on. What? I'm scared. How did they get out then? How did the killer get out if everything was locked? No, what if he stayed hiding until he saw a shit ton of people walking through and then just fit in with everybody? Oh, dude, that is even fucking scarier. 
Oh my gosh. The bodies of the Lena and Ina Stillinger girls were found in the downstairs bedroom off the parlor. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall with Lena on her right side. A gray coat covered her face. Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, lay as though she had kicked one foot off of her bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow on her right side, half sideways, not clear over, but just a little. And apparently she had been struck in the head and squirmed down the bed, perhaps one third of the way. Lena's nightgown was slid up and she was wearing no undergarments. There was a blood stain on the inside of her right knee that the doctors assumed was a defensive wound on her arm. Dr. Linquist, the coroner, reported a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom lying near the axe. Weighing nearly two pounds, it was wrapped in what he thought may be a dish towel. A second slab of bacon about the same size was found in the ice box. So I believe that that bacon was the killer's. Like, if they were transient and that's what they ate, like, because, you know, you can cook bacon on some, you know, fire outside mm-hmm. if you don't, like, if you're um, a traveling hobo. I, I heard that hobo was okay to say because that was, like, a thing back then. Yeah. Um, but what? I don't. So, then so why he did forgot he his bacon. He probably left in a hurry or whenever people started walking through the house, he's like, I'm going to look weird carrying this bacon around. So he just left it on the floor. He's like, oh, shit, I forgot to take that outside or whatever. Linquist also made a note of how one of Sarah's shoes, which was found on Josiah's side of the bed, the shoe was found on its side. However, it had blood inside as well as under it. It was the assumption that the shoe had been upright when Josiah was first struck and that blood ran off the bed into the shoe, like I mentioned, and the killer later returned to the bed to inflict additional blows and knocked the shoe over. Um, Dang. But yeah, what if the killer just waited? Because if all the doors were locked, the windows were all, I don't know about the windows, but, or what if the killer never left? Okay, like even really, after. I literally was so desperately trying to make you not say anything scary, <laughs> anything super scary, and there you go. Well, because I doubt anybody moved in right away anyways, so they were just squatting. But, but they did check that they checked all the time, remember? But then maybe that's why the investigators say that they feel energy in the pantry. Because why the fuck would they look in the pantry? You know what I mean? Like, the investigators are going to check every room of the house, but, like, they don't assume that the killer is still there, so they just don't check the pantry. And that's where the person is. And there's food in there, so, hey, I mean. Maybe. Maybe. (gasps) Oh, my God. Ew. I'm scared. I hate the idea of not just squatters, but, like, dangerous. Like, that kind of thing where, I don't know. Yeah, you fucking... And to kill children, keeps I can't. Out shit, that's freaking me out. My bad, but anyways, so that's the extent of that. Just had to make sure I didn't forget any of the the details. The bacon. Oh, and also, I had read somebody's comments after I read all all of this. Is one on one of the websites. Um, somebody commented that um, the undergarment situation. Might have been just to shame her. Because those girls, I believe there were like 11 and 12. So they were older than the more kids. Mm-hmm. And so the commenter said something about trying to shame a virgin in death or something. Like even without having to touch her, just her being exposed like that Weird. was like 
a way to shame her. And then also the the idea of the bacon, they mentioned that, which I don't know if this is true or not, I didn't Google it, but that eating bacon or pork is like a sin to some people. So having bacon might've set them off to like kill everybody. And I, w- I was thinking like maybe the Reverend just like lost his mind over that, but I don't know. That is it's a little out there. Saying. It is out there. But the way that the bacon was just on the floor like that is weird. I don't know, but interesting case nonetheless. And I wonder if it'll ever be solved by somebody just out of the blue. Like their great, great grandfather had like a, a, you know, on their deathbed confessed to what happened or seeing something happen or. Maybe. I doubt that, but maybe. I don't know. But anyways, all righty. Go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Like all of our stuff. And if you have any um, ideas on what happened or your own theories on the axe murders going across the Midwest in the 1900s, please comment because we would love to hear them. Um, Comment on Twitter, on Instagram, any of those posts. And I hope you guys liked the episode. Thank you again for listening. Thanks again for the... 1k listens we really appreciate it Mm -hmm. so did we give you the creeps